Hello everybody, I'm Matt McCucci and you are listening to the Jazzy's Podcast. Hello everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikucci here, welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today, a series that we simply like to call The Jazz Is Podcast. And it's brought to you in conjunction with Jazz Is Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz Is editors, and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. After earning a composition degree from the University of Arizona, Eric Johnson spent 22 years teaching high school history while pursuing his passion for music on the side. But in 2018, he delved into recording the music on Liminality, a groundbreaking project that blends jazz and fusion with chamber and orchestral elements, incorporating diverse cultural influences. Join us on this episode of the Jazz Is Podcast as Johnson discusses his captivating journey, shedding light on the creation of liminality and offering insights into his experiences and perspective on being a musical professional as well as maintaining independence while dedicating himself to his musical pursuits. Fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. This is the Jazz Is Podcast. Hello, Eric. Welcome to the Jazz's podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me here. And you know, the way that we like to start these podcasts is kind of with an icebreaker question. Uh, and that is to maybe see if we can, you can share a memory with us from early life or childhood uh, when you kind of awaken to the beauty and power of music. And maybe it's one of those memories, you know, when you think back to it, you realize that's maybe where I started to think about becoming a musician professionally or pursue a music in my life, you know, as I got older. Do you have one such memory that you could share with us? Well, I've wanted to be a musician for a long, long time. Um, for me, the, those, those, those aha moments you're talking about, um, I think I already knew I, I was already involved in music. Um, my father uh, started me off because he was a composer and a musician himself. But for me, I think what really cemented it would have been when I was growing up, this would have been in the seventies, Matt. And when I was growing up, I was, um, we were, that was a time in which we were just immersed in all this wonderful fusion experimentation going on in jazz and in, in, in various areas. Um, ECM, you know, had started this label, you know, in Germany and, and, um, and I was in San Diego and, and, and I had a friend of mine. I was, I was pretty young, had a friend of mine sit me down and like almost like, like around midnight. And he introduced me to Keith Jarrett's solo concerts. And I proceeded to listen to all six sides. And that was a life-changing experience in terms of just, you know, what music could be, not just jazz, not just, not just rock, but just the, the kinds of music that, that really um, bridges uh, genres. And, and that was always my, 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 what attracted me to music to see what type of voice I could bring into it. 
Yeah, my instrument was, originally my instrument was trumpet um, because my father played trumpet and I did that throughout my my childhood. So I started playing trumpet when I was about maybe 10 years old, 11 years old. Wasn't terribly serious until um, I was 13 and I joined the community jazz orchestra, the, the jazz band here in Tucson where I live. And that's when, and then I started hanging out with, with, um, college-aged musicians. And really, this might help to answer the first question you asked me, which is as far as, you know, coming into that that group of, of serious musicians, you know, college musicians, and I'm 13 years old, that was probably the moment where I was really determined to, to become a musician. And and in, and through that experience, um, it, it just it just completely molded me as far as far as my, my direction. So I was I, I played trumpet for a while, but then what finally in my twenties I I, I I was getting into keyboards because as a trumpet player you're not digging a whole lot, especially in Tucson, Arizona. So I was I was changing to keyboards to work more. Of course, as a musician, keyboards, you know, piano is always so helpful and, and it also sort of like furthered my own development as a musician. Um, later, I go to the university and I, at that point, I change over to composition as my major and I've, I've, I've never looked back. I read something interesting in your, uh, in your website that I kind of wanted to bring up. Uh an interesting quote uh, where you kind of stated that your process of creating music never fit too well within the parameters of a profession. What did you, what do you mean by that? I'm late in everything I do, Matt. So it, I, I could probably never make a deadline to save my life. Um, I, I, when I was, um, uh, I, I got into college when I was about in my late twenties, as opposed to my earlier twenties, um, and I just realized that the music I, st- I was basically writing and creating, um, just uh, the process of making music took longer than, than what I was perceiving to be other people's process, I suppose. Um, so the, the, I just, I, I, when, I, when I write music, uh, I don't give myself any time limits. I'm very slow. I'm very methodical. Um, I like to take my time, and that really doesn't fit too well with the more streamlined wallet-against-the-clock approach that you find in professional settings. Yeah, especially nowadays, I guess everything is sped up with the digital age, and and, and every aspect of music production, too, has been impacted by yeah. it. bringing liminality into the, into the picture. I heard that this project, too, took a couple of years. Uh, from uh, from the time you conceived it to, to now, where we actually where the album has been released, actually, it took many more years than that. Right. <laughs> um, I, I it would it started off, you know, the the music. It's a pretty ambitious, you know, work, and and it, it, given the fact that I was. I came quickly to the realization, you know, while I was in school, not when I was actually starting to, to compose seriously, that that um, the music I'm writing isn't exactly geared to sell a million. So I, I realized that I wasn't going to make money doing this. I wasn't really feeling like I could make a deadline. I really couldn't enter the the professional, you know, composing or you know, you know, realm films or whatever. I just didn't think I really. Um, had that that um, that process, and and so and and so I had to find a day job. My second day job was as a teacher. So liminality was put together slowly, you know, working weekends and 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 uh, 
working on it on summers and, and evenings. And so it actually took several years to, to bring off. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, for me, I will tell you that the best way of, of, of explaining this is uh, my choice of doing the album was either that or, or going back going to grad school. And I chose the album, which turned out to be the most incredible uh, graduate uh, school experience I could have possibly imagined. But it did take a long time. It took several years, and, and, um, and that's what happened. That's interesting what you're saying. So do you feel like that also granted you a certain level of freedom in pursuing your musical vision that you wouldn't have had otherwise? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I make a real distinction between professionals and artists, and I don't mean to, to denigrate um, um, professionals, but um, there is there is a very there are are strict rules, and, and I mean the, the professional um, approach uh, does consider time and money, whereas the artist approach is liberated from all of that. Of course, the drawback is you're not, you're not making a living from, from you doing music if you take more of an artistic approach. I felt the best balance for me was to try to find some way of, of, of paying the bills, uh, freeing myself from, from that you know, so that artistically I can take my time and do whatever I want to do. So let's talk about this uh, vision and this concept uh, that defines liminality because it's a very strong one. Uh, but for anyone who hasn't heard the music yet, and just to hear it from you as well as how you would introduce it, uh, how would you introduce this vision and the concept that you wanted to pursue with this project? For me, it was, it, you know, it started off as a collection of pieces I was putting together. And I was, as I was putting together, uh, I had been introduced to the concept of liminality, you know, this, this, this space between spaces um, back in, in, in college. But it wasn't like that was not the theme driving this particular set of music until I realized, you know, that there, in fact, is a common thread. So I was putting together this music. One, one piece was inspired by a trip to the Amazon rainforest. Another piece was inspired by various, you know, relationships I've had. Um, other pieces are inspired by uh, life transitions, you know, whether you, you lose somebody, you know, somebody passes away or, 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 or what have you. And then when I went back and I, and as, as I was developing these pieces, um, it kind of struck me like, wow, that they, they really do have, you know, liminality in common in terms of the, the transitory nature uh, of liminality. Um, and the way liminality is used these days in a much more broader scope than it was originally applied, um, I just felt that it was a really, really appropriate theme for what I was doing. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating also how it sounds. And in terms of like the what we hear, the instrumentation, let me see if I, if I am describing it right. It's the idea of combining an up to eight piece uh, chamber ensemble with a string chamber orchestra. The chamber ensemble is improvisational, so there's there's a lot of a lot of overlap with jazz, depending on what you want to you know how you want to define jazz as being. Um, so the, the chamber ensemble is an improvisationary ensemble, um, kind of like a jazz fusion world music type of ensemble. So these guys are, you know, I mean, they're, they're half the music is strictly written. Half the music is, is, you know, improvised. Um, and these guys can, of course, you know, you know, bridge that. Um, so, so I took that ensemble 
And then I decided to write, you know, strings for it. I mean, it was already in the mix. I was going to be writing strings for it. And my approach to writing strings for this project was I didn't want the strings to just kind of be in the background. I didn't want them to be like, you know, I've always found in the past there's, that there are a certain level of dissatisfaction with the way that jazz and orchestral has been combined by others. I mean, there's been some brilliant, you know, you know, uh, uh, examples of it working really, really well. Um, but so often you might hear a, a jazz ensemble, a predominantly jazz ensemble with kind of strings placed for ornamentation or for novelty, or maybe you'd have a, a, a classical piece that might have a little jazz passage, you know, for novelty. And I didn't find that to be very satisfactory. So my approach was more to bring the strings in as equals, to really, uh, to blend them so that, that depending on, on, on the music, sometimes they're, they're almost fronting the band like a horn section. Sometimes they're featured on their own. Uh, sometimes there's a call and response, a give and take. So I want the strings to be, to have that kind of active presence in the overall environment. track you are hearing is from Liminality, the latest album by Eric Johnson, available now. And we'll resume our conversation with the artist in a moment, but first I wanted to remind you that if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz Is Vinyl Club, a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz Is editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of Jazz Is, jazzis.com and these Jazz Is podcasts. Go to jazzis.com and click on Join Vinyl Club. But for now, back to our conversation with Eric Johnson. also hear the human voice integrated within the, the you know the other instruments so i wanted to also ask you or not forget to ask you about integrating the voice i i'm i'm actually fascinated by uh, this topic in particular nowadays because i find that there's a vulnerability in in singers and vocalists and in the sound of the human voice with all the rise of technology and the way that effects have been used on the voice so I kind of just wanted to introduce this topic as well, also because it is an important part of liminality as well. I've always written for voice um, for, for the earliest. You know, it, it is something that if I could sing, I would sing. I did a little bit on the album, but it's like background and stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, integrating voice is is so much of what I do, Um I, I certainly have written plenty of instrumental, you know, a lot of instrumental music, but I, I just find that the voice, you know, as you can, I'm sure you can imagine, I mean, it's just such, it's such an incredible thing. And of course, the, the singers I used on this album, I mean, Song Yi John is, is an up and coming, I think she's a, she's a rising star. She is extraordinary. Um, 
And uh, I would recommend anybody to check out Songi John's work. I mean, and she's just starting off, you know, so she's got so many years of development ahead of her. But she does it all. And and Michael Mayo out of New York City, uh, I one piece uh, features him. He's the male singer, um, and just an extraordinary. And he's he's just does amazing things with his voice. Um, we try. We were looking for for that particular piece called the Stillness. We were looking for a vo- vocalist, you know, a, a high and low. And and when we heard Michael do it, I mean, when he when he he offered to 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 show us a little bit about what he could do, we knew immediately, you know, that he was the one. Yeah, uh, and another thing that uh, I felt I should bring up is the collaboration with your co-producers on this project, Doug Martin and Wiley Ross, because we talked about uh, the ambition of the vision itself, but then when it comes time to actually putting it on the record, I feel like this album required a certain type of expertise uh, to make it all come together. So, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about their uh, contribution in this collaboration? Had it not been for Wiley and Doug, I don't think this would have ever happened. Uh, They are that important. Um, I've known them both uh, for many years, for over 30 years, um, in Doug's case, over 40 years. Um, And Doug Martin is an extraordinary musician um, that nobody knows about, unfortunately. He's a pianist, uh, but he's also got just the most amazing ears. I trust Doug's ears more than anybody else's. And Doug also comes at music with the kind of artistic purity um, that I do. And I don't mean purity in any kind of hierarchical sense. It's just more of, it's more of just the intention that you bring to the music. And, and he is, he is exacting. Um, he is, uh, you know, painstaking in everything he does. He's all actually on, on the album. On, on, he does one, one piece on piano. So Doug is somebody that I can always count on to, to you know, to give me, to, to, to be my backdrop, to, to be my second pair of ears. Uh, Wiley Ross, uh, he was, he's the director of the U of A, the University of Arizona Recording Studio. As I first met him, um, you know, again, over 30 years ago, when I was in school, uh, one of the things that, that, that college really um, helped to, 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 to manifest it, it is, is my role as a producer because they have a recording, a really excellent recording studio there. And Wiley Ross is the guy who put the entire thing together and he runs it. Um, Wiley, um, we've been friends for a long time. We've been, we've been working in the sound booth for, for many, many years. Um, and I knew that Wiley could be my third pair of ears. Much more, he's a, he's an extraordinary engineer, but, but more than that, um, he understands the music. He took the time and, and he, he really got immersed in the music, got inside the music as well as Doug. And so when it came to these two guys, I knew that I could, I, I have a, t- I had a team that I could, that I could not only, um, uh, tap into their expertise in terms of technically, in terms of studio recording and things like that, but also musically. Um, so I really can't stress the importance of these two. And I, I hope that we can continue to do projects together because I, you know, we're, we're a good team. As a final question, I did want to go back to something that we spoke about earlier, having that freedom to explore and express yourself and, and independence. I, I wanted to talk about, uh, the, the, again, the sound of the album. It's very unique. It really uh, defies uh, easy categorization. Is this something that is equally important to you 
just kind of to assemble all of these different influences that have shaped you, that have shaped, shaped your artistic journey and bringing them all together without being burdened too much about is my music falling into this little box right here? The, the Yeah, the genre is, is a little, you know, genre bending, I suppose. Um, there are some really great artists out there. Uh, Petros Klamponis comes to mind, you know, uh, um, and, and others who have done beautiful um, mergings, mergings of, uh, of, of orchestral and chamber and, and jazz improvisation. Um, I, I've always, you know, gravitated towards that, that blend. Um, I, I mean, I was trained as a jazz musician. You know, we were trained in bebop and post-bop and all that. So, I mean, I had that training, but, I, but, but as I kind of matured into my own voice, I, I, I just realized that, that what I was doing, also taking the ECM sound into consideration. I think ECM label was the first label, uh, arguably, uh, that was experimenting with this kind of uh, blending. You know, they their their whole focus is on improvisation, but they don't. You know, they're not always they're not swinging. You know, they're not they're not taking. You know, here in America, the, the jazz approach. You know, and especially after the eighties. You know, um, where we kind of take our cues from. You know, Winston Marcellus and other other jazz you know, leaders uh, who have made great contributions. You know, you know, to, to in the field, but. At the same time, there were some limitations that where American jazz went, in my view at least, there were some limitations that that were that were not so much present in the European scene. Um, so I, ever since I've been gravitating towards you know that type of you know ECM, whether we're talking about Keith Jarrett or Jan Garbarek or Ralph Towner or or Egberto Gismondi, you know whoever it might be, um, these are the artists that really inspired me to seek my own path in between you know genres, if you want to call it that does that make sense absolutely yes and as a as another final question i guess i i would love to know whether you're working on anything right now or just in general what your future plans are if there's any other ideas floating about in your head that you could share with us at this time yeah i'm i'm um he, the, the last stage of of producing liminality was so so uh, time consuming that I, I hadn't, I hadn't written anything new in a while. So when the album was finally done, it freed me up to kind of just to go back and, and I've been just allowing myself to kind of, you know, begin again, if you will, uh, allowing myself to kind of rediscover, almost be a student again of music and, and not worry about anything, but just, you know, just, just getting, getting my head back into it and getting my fingers on the keyboard and, and starting to generate some ideas again. Um, I'm uh, so so to that in a, in a low lower scale kind of way. Nothing is 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 um, uh, ambitious as liminality. So right now I'm I've been doing some arrangements. I'm, I'm arranging actually. Um, um, I'm doing a, a three three short pieces, almost like art songs. Uh, but the first one is, is an arrangement of uh, David Crosby's Deja Vu. Um, I do find music. Uh, important musically to be able to uh, reflect the times that were around, and I think Deja Vu, those you know, written in 1969, recorded I think 1970. Uh, all these years later, it is. I mean, the message is so absolutely contemporary. For, to that matter, I'm re, I'm doing an arrangement of Joni Mitchell's Woodstock, which I also feel similarly um, has a very has, rings very 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 contemporary. Um, 
And then, and in between, I, I connect. Sometimes I like to connect pieces together um, so that they kind of flow uh, without interruption. And I connect those pieces with uh, with an art song I wrote for choir and piano, and then another sort of a fusion piece that I've kind of written as well. Wow, we'll watch this space. So, what is the best way for the people listening to this podcast to kind of keep up with all of the news and upcoming projects and so on? My website would be the best way. Um, it's Eric Johnson, and my name is E-R-I-C, uh, Eric, E-R-I-C, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-E-N, which is a little tricky, ericjohnsonmusic.com, and on my website, you'll find, um, you know, all the information about the album, you'll find links to to, to, uh, to listen to it or to, to purchase it, um, bios, and as this thing takes hold, um, hopefully I'll be able to supplement the website with more media uh, content as well. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you very much for joining us, Eric. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Matt, for having me. I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eric Johnson and I remind you that his new visionary album Liminality is available now. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out our Jazz Is Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzis.com and click on Join Vinyl Club for more. And as music from Liminality by Eric Johnson plays us out, I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazz Ace podcasts, our print magazine, and other great content available to you on our regularly updated website, jazzace.com. And if you like what you see, you can always subscribe for more. Till the next time, this is Matt McCutsey signing off. See you soon. Mm-hmm.